You're listening to the 515 Podcast, led by Pastor John Wayne McMahon with Kingwood United Methodist Church in Kingwood, Texas. Thanks for downloading. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 57. Um, Jason Priestmeyer here with John Wayne McMahon. John, it's so good to see you today. How are you doing? Good to see you, too. I am better than I deserve. Oh, well, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, we are back on our regular schedule, which is cool. Um, we're here in week, week three yeah. of the Wonder Work sermon series, yeah. uh, which is all about the genealogy of Jesus mm-hmm. and all the different uh, implications and why this is really important and relevant to us today yeah. and um, to his lineage and what that meant for the people uh, of his time. That, yeah. hey, yeah. this is who Jesus is and this is why it's important. So, yeah. Um, Let's get started. Let's talk about, uh, kind of give us an overview of where we are now up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. So Matthew chapter one is the our focus. There's um, there's actually two genealogies of Jesus in the in the Gospels. There's one in Luke. Uh, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, but it's interesting to compare the two. Luke, um, Luke is trying to uh, show Jesus... Um, his his bloodline, his family line in a more particular way. And so he goes through Mary. Um, what Matthew does is that's interesting and why we focused on, on this genealogy is that he's definitely trying to show the royal line mm-hmm. going through Joseph, who is in the family line of David. And so, um, so even in a royal line in the ancient const- context, adoption, um, is good in the genealogy. Like adopt, you can be adopted to be in the line of the kingship, um, and so we see some adoptions that take place mm-hmm. through that line. But Joseph being one of the particular ones, because Joseph, though guys don't have a big part in most uh, yeah, most right. uh, uh, births uh, in any way, uh, Joseph had a very small part, and so um, but it is significant um, in this context. So, anyways, we've been tracking with that. The very first part, Matthew chapter one, verse one starts off with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, this He is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Or he says, son of David, son of Abraham. And so we were looking at those uh, to begin with. The first week we gave an overview, talked about some of the um, the cool things that Matthew slips in there that kind of should catch the at least the ancient context, mm-hmm. the, the, the ancient readers that would be uh, receiving this, um, the churches that would receive this gospel that's been passed around from Matthew. And then um, it's a little hard. we got to do a little more work to understand that and, and try to understand that message and then pull that meaning out uh, to see what, what it means for us today. So we did some overview and looked at different things going on. And then uh, Son of Abraham last week, we talked about uh, how the promises uh, that were made to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus, um, that I will I will make your name great, your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. Um, it's an unconditional covenant, this promise that even when Abraham, or even when the descendants of Abraham fails, uh, God will still be faithful, um, because this is all pointing towards uh, this fulfillment that's coming through later on in Jesus. Yeah. And so... Um, some really cool things there. Also, the son of Abraham, uh, recalling that the that there was another son of Abraham named Isaac, mm-hmm. and he was uh, nearly uh, sacrificed on an altar. And we see Jesus sacrificed on the great altar, the cross, uh, on our behalf. And so there's some cool parallels that yeah, Matthew like that a lot. and Matt, and that's not just preacher talk <laughs> or um, you know ninja preacher moves to try and. Uh, 
do some somersaults to make things apply mm-hmm. to Jesus. Really, I think Matthew is is drawing our attention to that. And so uh, I thought that was interesting. Anyways, uh, so that's kind of where we're at. This week it was important to look at Son of David. Son of David is um, really important for several reasons. One, I think Matthew is probably the focal point is on Son of David and, and what that means. Um, and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit in a couple different ways. But let me just start again reminding you that um, in Hebrew, David, would have been uh, the Hebrew words are assigned numerical values, and mm-hmm. so there's yeah. no vowels in in Hebrew. Um, that's a whole nother topic, but there's only consonants, a consonant language, and so um, each one would have a numeric value. There's three letters: the Dalit, Vav, and Dalit, mm-hmm. and they would add up to fourteen. Uh, Matthew breaks up the genealogy into three sections of 14. Um, Everything from just the way he writes it, like almost like a poem, it is written to point to David. Um, And then throughout the gospel, we see uh, different ways that he applies to that and and all of the ways that that's really important. Um, One of the, what I started with Sunday is 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promise to David. and David wants to build a temple for God, and God says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my house. I'm gonna establish it through you, your line, and it'll my kingdom and my reign will be for all times." Mm-hmm. And so, a really amazing prophetic promise that's coming through there, uh, and that was really the the foundation and and what ancient Jews would would know very well and uh, be looking to. And so um, that's kind of where we're at. So let me, like, with that said, let me just give kind of an overview of what we talked about Sunday. So we talked about the context of David, uh, understanding that um, in in the Old Testament, we see this narrative that uh, God's people continually try to replace God with their own leaders, their idols with other gods, Mm -hmm. they're worshiping other gods. Uh, things continually are spiraling out of control. God will bring somebody that'll try and pull us back out of it, uh, whether it's Abraham or Noah, whether it's Moses, whoever it is, Joshua, uh, these leaders, these prophets that are calling God's people back to God. Uh, but still, all throughout the Old Testament, it's it's always spiraling down towards when they're eventually put into exile, and the great messianic hope is is heightened to uh, to its climax. Um, and so we were tracking that with David. Anyways, um, before David, uh, the, the people are, are desperate for a king. God is frustrated, um, not in the people sense, but God is, is, is trying to teach them that I'm your king. Uh, you don't need one if you'll just be um, if you'll just show fidelity towards me and, and allegiance towards me. Um, but they just don't get that. So they eventually get a king named Saul. Mm-hmm. Saul is attractive and a mighty warrior, and uh, he's the people's champ. Okay, and so uh, God allows them to to have Saul. God institutes Saul as the first king, the first monarch of Israel. And uh, things are okay for a while, and then the rug gets ripped out. Saul fails, and um, just some bad stuff uh, going on there. And so now God is going to, uh, he's going to choose the resume. He's going to pick the right <laughs> characteristics. And so he chooses a nobody, uh, the seventh or eighth son of a family, yeah. uh, the last one, this little boy um, who uh, just is not, is not uh, in comparison to Saul, just doesn't have any of the qualifications you would think that would need to be king. Um, but he is a man after God's own heart. God instills him and installs him into the kingship. 
um, and David is the greatest king in Israel. Um, he unites Israel in, in incredible ways. He does some incredible things, uh, yearns to build a temple, um, but uh, he also has some great failures. Um, we know of he's, a, he's an adulteress, a murderer. Um, he doubts God. He doesn't fulfill his responsibilities as king to, mm-hmm. to go off to war when kings should and all kinds of things going on. He's a mixed bag. Um, but that's kind of the understanding, though, in that David... And what he did with Israel, there is an Old Testament expectation that eventually someone else is going to be able to fulfill what David couldn't. Um, and so we, we talked about that. We talked about how um, Matthew is comparing Jesus uh, to a king. And then we discussed how we're kind of missing um, part of the gospel when we don't understand the kingship. So that's where we're at. I encourage you to go listen to the sermon if you weren't there. I don't want to re-preach that sermon right. <laughs> here, but um, uh, I think it's an important one. It was fun. It was fun studying and putting together that narrative. It this These sermons take a lot of work, a lot more work than I thought they were, because huh. we're looking at the big, the, the whole picture. Yeah. It's not just drilling down into one text. It's looking at this, this whole biblical narrative uh, and the, because the genealogy is showing all history, you know? And so, um, how do we how do we get into the eyes of the author and look at everything he's looking at? And so that's taken a lot of work. Yeah, that's cool, but it's been good. Well, so. I like one of the things you talked about is how um, the the Jews were constantly looking for other yeah. God, you know, yeah, uh, other things to kind other of, king, yeah, and. And then also you mentioned a week or two ago how um, some people are like, well, let's stop preaching the Old Testament. It's not really relevant in there. Yeah. But like that is so relevant right. to today's um, yeah. society. <laughs> people looking for anything else yeah. uh, to really uh, satisfy them for like getting giving them sense of importance and and, yeah. and meaning. <laughs> One of the things we do wrong with the Bible is we approach it with a book of rules. Yeah. And so... I guess in the New Testament you can kind of do that. It's not right. It's not how we should treat it or mm-hmm. approach uh, approach the New Testament. But the reason why we want to toss out the Old Testament is because we approach the Old Testament like a book of rules or how to live life. And the Old Testament is got some messed up things, but it's also just because it's such a different context and culture sure, than, than yeah. what we're in. So I think part of our approach to the Old Testament has caused the church to be uneasy with it and not want to uh, be a part of it. But these New Testament writers are writing on the foundation and what they know and what mm-hmm. they've learned, their identity through this through the Old Testament writings. Um, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. His He sees his mission through the fulfillment and the promise of, of what has been shared by prophets um, in Moses and even Adam and, and things like that. So um, it's important for us to understand yeah. that as well. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Why, so so back to the Jews, why were they looking for another David? Why were they so uh, determined to find, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to say replacement because, you know, time had passed, but mm-hmm. for the next big great leader right yeah yeah so after david uh so with saul things look okay with david uh things are great Mm -hmm. um but after david it just like first and second kings and things just spiral down down out of control and so as they're moving towards exile and in exile they they're um they're yearning for a davidic a figure that would restore the kingdom of Israel, that would uh, push out their enemies, would do what they couldn't okay, do, yeah. um, and definitely that heightens when they are in exile and they're um, 
uh, they're at the hands of, of uh, Babylon and Assyria and stuff like that. And so um, that's that's really important. And then God is promising that along the way. Mm-hmm. And so these these uh, prophets are are acknowledging that Isaiah is really big on this. So um, Isaiah foretold the coming of a child and a son who will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and whose kingdom will never end. So that that language of king and kingship is there already. Again, Isaiah prophesied the coming of a branch of David on whom the Spirit of God will rest, who will rule the earth with justice and equity, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Descriptions such as these hinted that the coming anointed one, the Messiah, uh, would be God himself, but I don't know if they fully understand that. They just think of a king in the line of David, and so um, that's huge. And and again, leading into um, exile and then the intertestament period, which is, I think we think is about four or 500 years between when the last of the Old Testament's written and the New Testament. Okay. And mm-hmm. so there's a there's an even bigger gap that mm. we understand coming out of exile and then and then hoping for a Messiah. So when Jesus arrives um, and Matthew draws on this, he's called Son of David like over and over again. And the disciples leave their homes and follow after him because they think this is the Son of David. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we've talked about this a little bit in other episodes. Uh, a lot a lot of scholars think. Um, that Judas is a zealot uh, who is someone who is politically active as an activist, but but I'm talking like um, a kind of uh, Malcolm X kind of stuff, like that they would they would do great they would go to great actions to try and rebel against who was um, who was holding them down and oppressing them, and so um, some of that stuff is is taking place here. Uh, and, and and with Judas, uh, some people think Judas, be, because he's so disappointed, he in Jesus not being the king who would forcefully and violently overthrow the mm-hmm. oppressors, that maybe he tries to force Jesus's hand a little bit, or at least he tries to um, he tries to get out while the getting out's good because he's not who he thought it was going to be, and so this expectation of a of a strong. Uh, brutal, uh, not brutal, but just a strong leader who would lead as their contemporary kings had, but hopefully in a good and successful way. Um, and what they get with Jesus is is completely revolutionary and upside down um, in all of those ways. So. so that's how we got the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. which I, I saw live this year. Yeah, yeah a lot of people did. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, I finally kind of was able to follow along. With yeah. Like, oh, this is a different. Oh, I get yeah, it. All yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, so you said uh, David wanted to build a temple, yeah, to God. Yeah. So, what was that about? What was his motivation there? Yeah. So David gets everything established. We get to Second Samuel chapter seven, and he, um, he, there. It's interesting. We didn't. We couldn't read it all because there's this long prayer that mm-hmm. David has to God about how he wants to establish this kingdom, and then um, God responds to the prophet Nathan in this long dialogue, and so that's what we read in Second okay. Samuel seven seven. Uh, and and so God tells Nathan uh, to go and share these words with God. I mean, with David. Um, but da- what David wanted was, I mean, part of it was uh, there was probably some selfish intentions to mm-hmm. it. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. like I mean, I want to be the one that was responsible for building the great temple. Like, there's some pride in that. Yeah. I don't know if like we can completely, you know. Um, 
you know, point fingers at David for being just a bad dude for wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what he wanted was to establish a place. What we need to understand is the theology behind the temple. He wanted to establish a place that would that would show the world that God was with his people for all time. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this this widening scope of how God uh, dwells with his people, um, first in the tabernacle, really on the mountaintop of Moses, but then there's a tabernacle that's established and eventually a temple that is built and the temple's torn down and, and David's wanting to establish that. There's... there's um, there's crazy tense conversations about the temple with Jesus in the New Testament that we didn't have time to get into. Jesus tells, I'm going to tear the temple down and build it mm, up again, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But David wanted to establish God's presence with his people. And um, he may have thought he was saying, like, you know, when we say really Christian things, you know, like like when we promise God things and like some <laughs> we think we have the right intentions, yeah. but maybe God would show us we didn't. Sure. That's what it feels like because God's response is, did I ever ask anybody to build me a house? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, or did I need a house to dwell? I've dwelt in a tent and I've been able to um, be a part of what God's doing. No, I want you to know that I'm going to establish my house. I'm going to build my house, mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to be really different. So we trace that into how Jesus actually becomes the temple and therefore jesus living in us we become the temple and so all of that's a really cool narrative that's taken place already in that promise in second samuel 7 yeah it's good cool so um so tell me how do the how the gospels point towards uh the kingship of jesus or him being that king yeah that we're you know expecting yeah so there's comparisons there's there's poignant comparisons all over the place so like Obviously, the genealogy we're preaching through—that's one of the big ones. Right. That this this gospel, Matthew, uh, wants to begin with showing the royal line uh, that leads to Jesus. That all of this was moving towards that. This is the King, um, Son of David, is all throughout uh, the Gospels. In Matthew alone, it's over twelve times. I think twelve mm. or fifteen times, uh, Son of David. There's. Um, there's uh, 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 people that need healing that cry out to Jesus, say, Son of David, will you have mercy on me? Okay, There's yeah. uh, people speculating, could this be the Son of David? Uh, here in Matthew chapter 1, it's used three times. We talked about the literary framework, points to David. All of that stuff is is coming out. Then we see, um, even in the first three chapters of Matthew, in the in the, narr- the birth narrative that's taken place, and really we have detached uh, the genealogy from the birth of Jesus, from the Christmas text that we share okay, in Matthew, yeah. but they really go together because it's the birth of a king. And mm-hmm. so that genealogy is the intro to uh, the messenger coming to Mary and Joseph and all of that stuff happening. And then we see the way that the gospel show the message being heralded, like angels mm-hmm. appearing to shepherds and like appearing to magi and things like that. Um, even an angel appearing to Mary and Joseph, that declaration is, is like the declaration of when a king is to be born uh if if a king is having a son in in uh in rome then they would make this huge declaration and all of this stuff and so um that's that's really uh being brought out by matthew and then we see he shows he shows these characters bringing gifts to this new baby and all of those things are pointing to that um king herod and jesus are compared to each other in subtle ways in matthew chapter two and three um you see that uh herod is grasping for control um he is he is trying to kill a baby that can't do anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh like what's a baby gonna do he calls him 
the king of the Jews early on, which is almost uh, what we call a, um, an, a, a, uh, an inclusion where at the beginning he is called king of the Jews and at the end... Pilate calls him king of the Jews. Yeah. So these two Roman leaders, um, they ask him or kind of speculate that this might be the king of the Jews. Um, that was done on purpose. That didn't just happen that yeah. way. Um, and then, uh, so when Jesus is born, it is declared to Mary in, in I think, Luke, that he's going to be, this holy one is going to be the one who saves his people. And we see Herod is actually the one who's killing people uh, to try and find him. All of this stuff is contrasting. It's not just there either. It happens, of course, um, in the imagery in his death. When the soldiers dress Jesus up in a purple robe, they do so in order to mock him. Um, but particularly John is telling us in order to declare that Jesus is indeed the one in purple, the royal, the regal mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. They put a crown on him. They literally crown him, and they think they're doing it in mockery. And what Jesus is is actually accomplishing in his death is being crowned uh, in, in the in the God sense. And so that's amazing. He he says for he tells the uh, the high priest when when the Son of Man is lifted up, I'll draw all things to myself. We've got the allusion to Jesus sitting on the throne when all things will be under his footstool in Revelation. Well, when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he is being elevated in lifted that up, place yeah. in the same way. Um, so all of that stuff is coming out in some really big ways. Um, and then Jesus understood this. We Matthew sh- shares a, a, a little dialogue in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus compares himself to David. Uh, and so we don't have time to get into that, but that's a pretty cool little thing that even Jesus is seeing himself as the fulfillment of this king. Mm-hmm. And he says it as much and he tells people around him and that and it ticks the Pharisees off. And the people that are kind of following him, they ask that question, is this the son of David? Yeah. Uh, did he do that on purpose, what he just said? Can you believe he said that yeah. kind of thing? And so, yeah, there's some there's some really cool subtle things that are that are happening all. But that's a major theme of Matthew's gospel. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So, why does it seem like um, this truth about Jesus being king is often uh, like overlooked or or even dismissed in in our modern understanding of? Of, of him yeah it's a, it's a good question something I was trying to get at a little bit but um I just I've just been so convicted by this truth recently I think I think there's a couple of uh, narratives that and we could spend podcasts and podcasts talking about this but there's a couple of things happening in our at least the Western Church um, that I think is is causing us to be shaped by the culture around us. Mm-hmm. And being formed in ways that uh, we're no longer set apart or don't appear to be, uh, but we're now becoming what the world is around us. And and I don't mean that in an alarmist way. We should all head for the hills and live in in communes <laughs> like um, you know monks. But right. but but I I do think that's pretty easy for us to see that the drifts in morality and and things that have always been important to us are no, no longer important. And I think a couple of things are um, one we don't we no longer fully believe that God uh, not only can save us but can transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we become like sons of God and daughters of God that um, not only am I saved by grace but I'm sanctified by His grace and so there's no longer this this passion at least in I think I think and this is John Wayne who's 31 who's been <laughs> a pastor for a few years. Okay. 
uh, young, arrogant seminarian kind of thing coming out, <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I think there's no longer a passion or a urgency for holiness, hmm. to grow in holiness in the way that we are full of God's love in our heart, um, that we're going on, that we're different than we were yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's still uh, as prevalent in our churches. It is in pockets and different places. And then the other one is that we've misunderstood the kingship of Jesus, that um, we've forgotten the one present, the one present tense thing in the whole gospel narrative. And we've kind of missed that. We actually have kind of missed the whole gospel. And let me let me explain that a little bit. I was talking to some young adults uh, Monday uh, Monday night, and they're young adults that I've been spending time with. They're mm-hmm. from our church. Some of them are not. They're from the community. Um, some of them have mixed beliefs about faith and are, are um, maybe new in this journey. Some of them have been a part of the church their whole lives and, and have some big doubts. Some of them are, um, are, are desperate for more of God and more of the Holy Spirit. And some are desperate for answers and, and no one's been able to give them to them. Yeah. And so it's an interesting dialogue. But anyways, we were talking about this, uh, this topic yesterday about universalism, which that's another podcast. <laughs> uh, but, the, but when I was asking folks about the message of, of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospels, um, it kept coming down to, if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell. And that's like the main message that uh, that they understood. Mm. They thought this is what this is about. And um, heaven, this two-part decision on whether we go up to heaven or go down to hell when we die is really missing the narrative. There's some bad theology there, but it's also way off of the center of what the good news is. I'm not trying to say there's no judgment and Jesus isn't promising judgment and he talks about hell and all of these things, uh, but what Jesus is coming is to restore the kingdom of heaven here on earth, to bring those two places exactly, back together. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is the central. And so uh, when they ask you, well, what's what's the gospel then? What is what what did what is the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, I say, well, well, we've got to remember the historical creeds, and we talked about this Sunday. These, this is the gospel message that Jesus pre-existed with the Father; mm-hmm. that he was he was in that uh, that place of the Trinity in the commune of the Trinity, and that he took on human flesh according to Scripture, fulfilling God's promises, particularly to David, uh, to come and be king and to rule and to reign. He died for our sins according to the Scripture. Uh, he was buried. Uh, that's that's in there because it is very critical that we know that he died and was buried, yeah. and he was, and that really happened mm-hmm. historically. He was raised on the third day, according in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to many, many, mm-hmm. many, many. Uh, again, uh, drawing us to that historicity that people saw the resurrected Jesus. Then here's the present tense. All of that is past tense. Yeah. Here's the present tense. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then finally, the future, he will come and judge uh, the quick and the dead. And so we got to hold to historic uh, creedal faith. And I think that we're missing all of that. That's the gospel, not this um, Jesus died for me so that my sins uh, could be taken away and that I could go to heaven and not go to hell. Mm-hmm. That's missing the big glorious uh, hmm. uh, message of Jesus and his defeat of evil and death itself. Um, 
And so that's where we should start. But but again, I, I want to draw into this this thing that he was that he is seated at the right hand of God. Um, that means that he is the ruler and reign; that he is king for those of us that are in Christ. Um, and that message is something that we we need to hold on to and we need to see. The other thing I would say about why we're we missing this is because there's a there's a uh, contextual barrier. We don't understand Caesar or king the way that they did yeah right mm-hmm. the way that the biblical audience they when jesus is is kind of politically uh saying i'm king in these ways that this this kingdom or this temple is going to be torn down or it doesn't matter if you worship on that mountain or that mountain or it doesn't matter about these things or that you pay unto caesar what is due caesar but you pay unto god what you know when he's making these statements he's making a charged political statement and the closest thing we can get to is our is if comparing our allegiance to the president yeah. versus our allegiance to the king now sadly i would have to ask a lot of us I'm not just talking about this president, but all presidents. Uh, yeah. Uh, are you more allegiant to the president and the flag mm-hmm. and the country than you are to Jesus Christ as our king and what that means for our identity to be in the kingdom, to be a people of God that is transformed and changed and set apart from the world around us? There's nothing wrong with being patriotic. There's nothing wrong with supporting a president. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing. Um, but I wonder where that our allegiance is. And so if Jesus is king, um, then that changes things for us. That means that we can have hope in the midst of hopelessness, that when things are chaotic, we already know the victory that is in Jesus over death itself and have, no, have nothing to fear, that we can uh, lean in with peace um, and experience a peace that is... Uh, uh, that is bigger than the peace of this world, uh, and we will look different and be transformed, and and our homes will be different, and all of those things. And so, um, that's critical. The last thing I'll say about why we missed this, and this is important too, if Jesus is King, then that's a little offensive to us. Mm. Uh, we we don't like to be told what to do, how to spend our money, uh, how many sports our kids should be in, how much vacationing we do. Uh, where we buy vacation homes, um, where we go to school, you know, like, I mean, there's there's just so many layers of this. That's a, It's offensive to think of not only is he died for me, because that's offensive, because someone needed to die for me because I'm bad, right? Um, but also that Jesus is king, and that makes us uncomfortable, and we don't understand that completely. And so um, I think that's another reason why we don't, we don't really get so it. So is that like, I mean, obviously, you know, the way this country was founded is that we decided, declared independence from a king, and it's yeah. like we don't yeah. want a king anymore. You know, yeah. we're going to do things our own different way. Yeah. Um, is is this same this same thing this offensiveness to there being a king's true for other countries or for other people or is it or are we talking about just Americans here or or, or you know what I'm saying like like in England they have a king and they still use the head of the church you know is is yeah or, is yeah. what you're telling me kind of also true for them or is there a different well I, perspective? I you what know I'm not I'm not a um, I'm not a uh, uh, historian, so I don't I don't want to talk too far out of my reach here. But I would, I, as far as I understand, the royal line in England is 
pretty much figurehead at this point. You know what I mean? Like there is a there is a papacy to there to the Pope, and there is right, allegiance right. In, mm-hmm. in that as well. But um, but but yeah, if anyone's been under a monarch for too long, and and those things haven't gone well, and there's rebellion, and there's not wanting to be a part of that, and things like that. Um, and I understand that. Uh, Jesus is to be the best version that any king could have been. Yeah. Like you take the best of who David is, and Jesus becomes that kingship for us. And so, yeah, I think I think you're onto something. I think we're all. I think we. It's hard for us to get our heads around it and understand that because um, if you were to say we need a king and monarch in the United States, that would be terrible. Yeah. And listen, I'm not. I'm not even trying to argue for. I don't want to argue for that. I'm not saying kingship's the best way in worldly terms. Right. Right? Like a democratic society is is a good thing. That's a ve- it's a very good thing. Yeah, exactly. It's you know this to me, this as I'm thinking here I'm I'm like okay, this is a much bigger conversation yeah. than, than we have time for today, but but yeah, it's just that kind of like how dare you say that I need a king to tell me what to do or or yeah. control my actions in which is exactly what you said. So I, I think yeah, I'm 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 following you here. Yeah, and and I can definitely see just if you spend any amount of time on the internet on social media, you see people who are rebellion, rebelling, or outraged by anybody's perspective. Yeah, and a lot of it, I think, is kind of the way society well, is, is looking towards religion today. And, and let me draw us back to biblical approach to kingship too, because when we apply kingship quickly to our experience in terms mm-hmm. like when when we think of 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 the the king of england and the american revolution and things like that then we quickly go why would we want that like yeah. uh, well the the reason why jesus being king um or or the context of what they're going to hear this in is that in david there was peace in the land that there was no longer this mm-hmm. fighting that that they were restored that there was um that the vineyards were full, that there was flourishing and all of that. In Jesus, that peace, that kingdom will be restored so that the vineyards will be full, so that all will be healed, so that evil and and enemies will be driven outside of the city gates Mm -hmm. and never be let in again. And so that kingdom is what we look forward to when it's fully consummated. It's not in this like kind of weird monarch of these are your taxes, pay up and things like that. Um, but more in the Old Testament sense, in what was seen in David, they wanted that again. And we need to understand, even though it's a little harder for us to get that, the best of who David was, that's what we get to see in the restoration of the kingdom. And what is critical for us is that that restoration has already begun. Mm -hmm. So even though we live in a world where Santa Fe can happen and some things are going around, these these other bad things are falling apart, we as Christians in the body of Christ have already started to begin, we've already begun to experience what it means for the vineyards to be full. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean like material blessings, but I mean peace and hope and love that I mean like marriages being restored and being the best part of who they are. I mean, friendships being able to move through conflict and for us to be united. Um, that's, That's the thing that I mean, to be a part of God's kingdom being made manifest all around us. That's why we do missions. That's why we serve. Mm -hmm. That's why we're we always want to look out around us to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because we want to tell people about a kingdom that has already begun uh, and will be uh, an amazing thing to be a part of down the road. Yeah. Make sense? That's totally. Yeah. Is that good? Very good. 
So, so how does this change things? So I for think us now? I think you that's know, right? it. Yeah, you know, I think if that's we take the truth that Jesus is King. Yeah, in our lives. Yeah, well, like we have to wrestle with what it means to be, um, what it means to be with Jesus in fidelity. Mm-hmm. To not um, replace God with other things in our life, like to be allegiant to a king means to to support to give resources to go where i need to to be called where where i need to be like that's that's what this calling is to to know that jesus is king because um for me to be a part of that kingdom that means that i'm bowing the knee to jesus Mm -hmm. before anything else sure and so that changes finances it changes our homes it changes if it means you know like i was talking to a family recently that um they're they're considering letting their kids play uh, sports um, one part of the year, but not another part of the year. Uh, because they're even though that stinks, you know, like that, that's kind of hard for the kids yeah, to understand right. that at first. They're not going to love that decision in the mm-hmm. beginning. It's actually a way of saying, no, listen, before sports or anything else, we bow the knee to God. Mm-hmm. Like going to church and being part of the body of Christ, that's more important than anything else that we do. Before we pay our bills that are important, mm-hmm. and definitely before we look at finances, I mean, uh, vacations and and buying new cars and things like that, we look at what, how are we bowing the knee uh, to what God's doing and His kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. How are we being a part of that and participating in that um, in our marriages? That that like, how am I bowing the knee to God? Like, let, let me just let me just give you an example. Um, the the Lord just convicted me just a moment before I came over here. Like Lauren, uh, Lauren and I are tired. We we've got all kinds of stuff going on, and um, we we got into it a little bit over something small. Mm-hmm. And I and I started to leave and go get in the truck, and I just felt the Lord say, "No, like that, like no, that's." Like go back in there so that you don't that doesn't hang over us right now. Like yeah. like let's just resolve that. Like you don't have to be right and, mm-hmm. and we don't have to be right. Let's just let's resolve that. That's that's when we're bowing the knee to God and saying, It doesn't matter if I'm right in this. Let me serve the person that God's given me and put around me. All of those things are um, different place. And listen, the people that are in the church, that have been in their church their whole lives, this is something we need to address as well. How are we bowing the knee? How are we uh, choosing not to gossip about other people, mm-hmm. but love yeah. and serve other people? Um, and all of those things are so important. So uh, it's revolutionary. It changes everything. It's a lifelong journey to that. Like tomorrow, sure, yeah. tomorrow, God's going to reveal to me some way <laughs> that I haven't been doing that, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in a big way. And so... Um, there's patience, there's grace in that. The beautiful thing, and I tried to close Sunday this way with, um, th- yeah, this is a big calling on our life, but God also gives us the grace to be able to do it, the ability to be able to do it. He shows us how we can do it and, and where we need to do it more. And so that's a beautiful thing about that. Cool. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that's enough. I think we talked a lot. <laughs> we did. Yeah. No, so I would love in, any input. This is a big topic and oh, yeah. a lot going on. So if you have any questions, let me, I always want to throw that in. Any questions or comments, we'll, we can address those next time we're together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd love to hear what you thought of so far of this series and, and even this message. Um, be sure to comment. If you're on Podbean, you can comment right there on mm-hmm. it. We'll see it. You can send it to us at podcasts at kingwoodumc.org or you can message Jason and I on Facebook book email anything like that so For sure yeah we'd love to hear if you be great 
So I'm I'm looking at our notes, yeah, and yeah, I can't yeah. wait yeah. for this next bullet. Yeah. Um, what's coming up this next week, John? So I told I told Jason I put in our notes for this this uh, this conversation that we need to warn people that this week is PG thirteen, uh, and it is. Uh, so Goodness. we're looking at um, this week. We're going to look at the unlikely people that show up in the genealogy of Jesus mm-hmm. uh, in a list full of dudes. There's some women in there, and they're women that. Um, are a part of some really interesting stories. Hmm. We're going to probably focus on, well, we are going to focus on one that is a really crazy story, and that's the story of Tamar and Judah, and that's in, in uh, the book of Genesis. And so um, here's the warning. There's some there's some, uh, um, some uh, 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 big, uh, interesting <laughs> sexual innuendos. Now, a few weeks ago. Yeah. At nine forty, you said one word, and then I noticed conspicuously I it was 11. missing at eleven. Yeah. So I saw mom's is, faces in the room. That was Mother's Day too, I think. I saw Mother's mom's <laughs> faces in the room when I said something. And, and listen, I don't like to um, to mute scripture. Right. And so whenever I can, I try to read it. <laughs> I'm still wrestling on exactly how to read this story because all the translations have some very um, uh, 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 picturesque, some some describing kind of things that are taking place. We won't go really crazy into yeah. them, but there's some things that will come out that uh, if your little ones pick up on things and ask you questions, just be ready for that. So there's a <laughs> teaser for that this week. If you want to check out what's going on, go look at the story of, of Tamar and Genesis. So and give us the scripture? What, okay. And you'll see what's happening, okay? You cool. can look at that. Read ahead and be prepared. I think it's Genesis 28. I'm I'm not positive, but it's Genesis, somewhere towards the end of Genesis. Genesis oh, look up, 28. Look up Tamar. Yeah, you'll find Tamar. You'll find it. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. All right. So that's going on. Uh, I do want to plug, we, we rolled out one thing about home team. Um, Ryan and I have been uh, wanting to expand our volunteer base within the worship service so that we continue to, to be as hospitable to those that come and join us. We have new faces all, every week. Oh, yeah. It's just crazy. And so um, what we wanted to do is increase our greeter system. And, and that's going to be called the home team. And we got that because... As, as Ryan it being new and asking mm. questions of people, mm-hmm. and really I've always heard this, we ask people, what what is it about KMC and specifically the Vine that you love? And people always say that it feels like home. And so if this is home, then how are we being good hosts to those that come in and, and be a part of who we yeah. are? And so we'll, we'll do a little safety training, precautionary safety training. We'll do some greeter stuff, make sure we have awareness of buildings and where things are at, but it'll be um, ways that people can clearly identify someone they can ask for help if they need it, um, help pass in baskets and move in uh, pedestals and reset communion yep. <laughs> and all kinds of things. That um, and 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 let me say this uh, in this subject: we have some great volunteers already. Jason is one of them, but uh, folks that show up early and do a lot of stuff and have been for a long time. And this is a great way for us to add into that, to build that out, and to give you all a little bit of support yeah, for in sure. those areas. And so, if you would like to be a part of that, let us know. We'll have another sign up up this week you'll only serve once a month but we'll ask you to serve both services for okay. consistency yeah so we have it. those teams ready to go you get to be a part of our pre-worship devotional and team mm-hmm. meeting and then which is very cool uh, yeah, I can tell you yeah. firsthand. Yeah. and then we'll, we'll break and set up and and all of those things um so that's important uh, uh, one other thing next not this sunday but next sunday bert will be preaching in the 11 o'clock vine 
Cool. Okay. Yeah, and then the following week, so that's the twenty fourth. On mm-hmm. the twenty fourth, he'll be preaching eleven o'clock vine. On the first, he'll be preaching in the nine forty vine. Okay. And then the opposites, he's in the sanctuary mm-hmm. during those times. And so these are kind of his first meeting of of everybody. It's his intro sermon, and and he's going to share his heart and and what's important for the ministry under Bert. So you'll want to be a part of that. Um, so come be. Come to those services. Be on the lookout. Don't miss both of those weeks. Or if you're missing one, make sure you plan to catch uh, the one that he's there. Yeah. And you can listen to our sermon in the sermon series on the podcast and mm. stuff like that. And then the last thing is uh, in the 24th when Bert's here, I'm not going to be here. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, I'm leaving next Tuesday to go to Puerto Rico. I'm leading, I'm leading a mission trip with a couple people from our church, some members of Journey Church from the community. So it's oh, cool. Neat. We're partnering with yeah, them. Really. And we're going to check out Puerto Rico. There's a lot of... Uh, still a lot a long way to go for those people from mm-hmm. the hurricane of last year uh, i know we know what that's like but i think it's it's a whole nother level over there still yeah. people without power if you can imagine that and, no, and without clean water and stuff like yeah. that so uh, we're going to go and explore and see what these mission organizations are doing down there. And so I'm excited about that. Be praying for me. Yeah. Uh, Jason and I, I can't give you a direct answer. We're hoping to get an episode mm-hmm. in uh, before I leave. Uh, but if not, we may double up and, and catch up after that. But we'll let you all know. Be on the lookout for the podcast. And I really want to hear um, when you guys get back, yeah. get kind of a recap of Puerto Rico and also, we've had some folks come back from Costa Rica this past, yeah, past yeah, Sunday yeah, as well. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So I definitely... Maybe we could interview your wife on the podcast. Emily would be was so convenient. You yeah. think she would? Uh, yeah, if we don't tell her what we're doing, we just yeah, say, I just, hey, sit I here. I just called her out over the podcast. Yeah, so. this would be great when she hears this tomorrow. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> all right, thanks, guys. Thank uh, you always, so much. Always a blessing. I'm always praying for you all. Uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, thanks so much. Bye.